it as well because that's why we're here as a body, as a group, as a family to share in Jesus Christ and the love we have in Him and to sing praise together, to hear His Word. So if you'd stand with me as we begin our service, we're going to start with prayer and then we'll sing uh, some hymns and worship songs. Father, we thank you for this morning. We do praise you for this week. We recognize um, your presence with us at all times. We can't even begin to imagine how many times you intervened in our lives that you were watching over us, taking care of us, providing for us. Um, the food on our tables, the roof over our heads, the very air we breathe all comes from you. We recognize that. You desire us to give thanks, to be thankful, to be worshipful. We praise you for all we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, again, that you lavish on us forgiveness of sins, your presence, your Holy Spirit living in us, the power to live the way you desire us to, your very word that comes alive in our hearts and minds as we read. I thank you for all of these things. So we come this morning as every Sunday we come together, we come to worship you. We pray that your word as we hear it and these songs as we sing them to each other and to you would be acceptable in your sight and worship and uh, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to your name. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, we ha- you should have got a bulletin if you didn't. We have one in the back. Did, did you catch it? Did you get a bulletin? We have the words in there for to sing along with us. We do sing hymns and they're in the hymnal, but out of convenience, we have a sheet that has all of the songs on them we can sing together. So we're going to start with a great uh, hymn of worship, praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation.
not a hymn, but a beautiful um, worship song uh, taken from the scriptures. We can't imagine how wide, how deep, how strong is God's love beyond our comprehension. Our little minds can't understand that. But he promises that he has given it to us forever through his son. And nothing we can do on this earth, nothing can separate us from that love.
I don't know about you, but I do have trouble every once in a while with uh, fears and anxieties, uh, especially kind of in the world we're living in today and the things that are going on around us. But um, one of the fruits of the Spirit and one of the things that uh, Jesus promised to his disciples was to give us peace in the midst of all of that because I know how the story ends and I know who's in charge, so... Despite what other people think they're doing around me, I know that God is still in control of my life. He's still the one leading me, and I can have peace and rest in his hand. It is well with my soul.
the psalmist David spent a lot of time as a shepherd and uh, watching all the animals and things around him. I'm sure he saw plenty of deers that were um, panting for water. I don't, I don't, today we don't see stuff like that anymore. We're walking our dogs, and you can I see people all the time walking their dogs, and I'm thinking, give them some water, lady. They're about to pass out. The thought of wanting God that much, I don't know if you've ever gotten to the point where you almost feel like you're dying of thirst. Our souls, um, according to David, should pant like that for God, to love him that much and desire his presence with us that much. Bulletin. I don't know if, how many of y'all are familiar with this song or not. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. How many of y'all know this? 
him. Okay. Marsha was worried that most of you didn't, so um, we're, we, we've learned it. We're going to sing it uh, as a special, but certainly if you know it, feel free to join in. This is a beautiful, <clears throat> excuse me, a beautiful song taken from Psalm 23, and to think of um, God as our shepherd, and that uh, I can guarantee you if you're trusting him as your shepherd, that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And one day... You will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
job. Good morning. Today's reading is going to be in the Psalms. It is Psalm 111 in its entirety. And you're welcome to uh, follow along in a Bible you brought yourself or one in the pews or uh, just uh, be blessed by listening. That's Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. In the company of the upright and in the assembly, great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice, and all his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people he has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Father God, it is true that we should praise you with all of our hearts because of the wonderful things you have done. I mean, with um, the Israelites were caused to remember the, his great works in saving them from Egypt and, uh, and Lord, in keeping them from, uh, and giving them a land where they could become a, a nation and, uh, and Lord, eventually uh, be the home of the Messiah, Jesus. Uh, Lord, it is good to remember God's works in our own lives Lord, I've discovered that in doing that, I'm, I've become grateful. And, and Lord, my, uh, my outlook on, on my own life is vastly improved, knowing that the Lord has worked in it and, and will continue to do so. And that is true of many here. All of us can think of times when the Lord is, uh, has given us strength and has given us salvation. And the works of his hand are truth and justice. Uh, one of the blessings we have with the Lord is that, is that in all the craziness of the world, in all the craziness of our own minds, that we have a standard, a, a, a word of God that does not change, uh, that, that leads us to you. And I pray that each of us would endeavor to study his word so that we could fear you and follow you. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to worship you in music, in the reading of the word, and the preaching of the same. Uh, Lord, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, Pastor Steve 
loves you, loves us, and loves your word. And I pray that you would put in his heart what you would have him preach to us today, and that we would have listening ears and take to heart what we have heard. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you here on this Lord's Day. Glad that you could be with us here at Hope Bible Church. Uh, Two of the songs we sang had that phrase, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That means it's important, right? We understand that. I was thinking this last week, we all come here, we've all had seven days. We've lived through this last week. Uh, Each of our days, of course, are unique. All of you had different things happen, situations, work, people, conflicts, trials, whatever. We all know that. And and we come here, and we're ones who, again, God has been working and working and working. And sometimes we don't see all that he does, and of course we can't see all that he does. But I'm talking really about our own lives. Just a a little story. It might seem a little bit strange, but... Um, you know, I'm a homeowner. I got to mow the lawn. And so it's one of those weeks where, and I usually mow the lawn late evening, well, late afternoon, early evening, because it's a little cooler, and a little more shade. And so it's the kind of thing where every afternoon it's rain. And I said, man, I, 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 Lord, I, I got to mow the lawn. It's raining. And, and so that happened, and the, the back yard is getting really uh, long, front yard too. But anyway, so that happened. This is Thursday. It's about 5 o'clock, 5.30 or so, and I, and I got the wet radar there on the computer, and I was watching it and stuff, and so here I am. We're up there in Northdale, and I was looking, and, yep, there's a big system. You know, it's got the greens and the oranges. You know, the oranges is really bad, and so it was the orange. That's really bad over there. Well, I hope it don't rain, and then, I, you know, a little later I looked, and, well, there it is up in Lutz. You know, it's right above us, and, well, it hadn't rained yet, you know, and then a little later it was over here, over off of Citrus Park. I said, wow, this is pretty amazing. It just sort of went around. This is really good, and so I go out, and it's a little thunder and rumbling, and sometimes my wife doesn't like that, but I had to get that lawn done, and so I got it done, but the point is I thought, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that it didn't. I mean, I'm the guy. Some people mow lawns when it's wet. I don't do that. It's just a little rule. And, and so uh, thank you that you did that. It's just one little example of how God works. Uh, the fact that my wife is back here after a few weeks off, God is healing her up. That's a work of God. There's a few people, you know, that still aren't here. Giovanni, Sally, and Bruce, and Carol are still not feeling good from being sick. But they're getting better. God is working, Okay. And, and the point I want to say is that God is working. And just to go back briefly to that psalm, just to read this, Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. We, we, we talk about studying God's word, and we ought to study God's word. Each of us should be reading and thinking and praying through God's word. But here it says we're to study God's works. And so I would hope that each of you, you know, as you go through the week, are thinking about what God is doing. Uh, You know, whether it's, again, a situation with some person or whether it's a trial or work, God is working. 
He is working. It says they are studied, studied uh, by all who delight in them. Then verse 3, splendid and majestic is his work and his righteousness endures forever. And then, of course, it goes through and gives a number of examples in Psalm 11, 111 about his works. And it concludes, the fear of the Lord's begin of wisdom. That as you study his works, as you see what God is doing, you will fear the Lord more. And I want to start off this message by reading a number of verses that all relate to the same general subject of fearing the Lord. And it's an important subject. It's a very, very, very important subject. And, and as, I, as I thought about this a little earlier, I thought, you know, I'm not adequate to share this because this is so critically important for every single individual here, those listening on, and everybody in the world. And I would say as we start here, a lot of the problems we have in the world today, in fact, about every problem we have relates to people not fearing God. And, and so let me just read these. Uh, these are all back in the handouts. you get them off the table later. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Psalm 33, 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 and 2. The conclusion of the matter is this, to fear God and keep his commands. 1 Samuel 12, 24. Be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him with all your heart. Second Chronicles, it's, I'm not exactly sure the chapter, but it says, You must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. Exodus 18:21. Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials. Exodus 20, 20. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God may be with you to keep you from sinning. Deuteronomy 31.12, assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the aliens living in your land, so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Psalm 86.11, give me an undivided heart so that I may fear your name. Psalm 33.18, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. 1 Peter 1.17, since you call in a father who judges each man's word, Work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Psalm 25, 12, and 14. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. The Lord confides in those who fear him. Psalm 31, 19. How great is thy goodness which thou hast stored up for those who fear thee. Psalm 36, 1. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Psalm 112, verse 1, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and who takes great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. Proverbs 31, 31, Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but the woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Proverbs 16, 16, Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. Psalm 103, 11, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. Job 1, 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Job 28, 28, to fear the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. Proverbs 15, 16, better a little, a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. And then in Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom and humility comes before honor. Finally, Psalm 22, 3, you who fear the Lord, 
praise him, which relates to what we just read in Psalm 111. So you can see there's, there's a lot in the field. And these are some of the verses, just some of them. But I think you can see from this that, that this fearing God's an important truth. It's a fundamental principle. It relates to your entire life and to every single aspect of your life. And if you fear God, you'll be a joyful, you'll be an encouraged, you'll be a successful, you'll be a God-glorifying Christian. Well, let's look more closely at what it means to fear the Lord. We're going to go back to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. You can turn there in your Bibles or just listen along. Proverbs 1, verse 7. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. After the first six verses, which is the introduction to this book of Proverbs, we have this, this, this verse right here which again means that it's foundational. It's really the foundational principle, verse, truth for the entire book of Proverbs. And as I just said, of course, to every part of our lives as well. And it's that you fear the Lord. And fearing the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So what is this knowledge? We're talking about spiritual knowledge. Specifically, we're talking, and most importantly, the knowledge of God. That's what we're really talking about here. We're not talking about human knowledge. We're not talking about knowledge related to science or human anatomy or the weather, things like that. We're talking here about the knowledge of God himself, which is by far the most important kind of knowledge that there is. We talk about the knowledge of God. We're not talking about head knowledge. We're, not, we're, we're talking about heart knowledge. We're talking about knowing God himself, having a personal relationship with him. That's, that's what we're talking about here. And fear in the Lord, then, is, is, is the really key, is the, is the beginning of this knowledge, the key to this relationship with God that he wants us to have with him. So what does it mean to fear God? First, let's define this word fear. And it's not so much that you are afraid, even though there's a little component of that, that you, know, you think of being afraid of something or fearful. It's, it's more that you're in awe of God, that you respect him, that you revere him, that you bow down to him. Or we could say that you look up to him. And we see this kind of respecting, this kind of revering all the time in, in our world around us, all the time. You think of some leader or some actor or some singer uh, some celebrity, and, and he has some position or power, or maybe has certain kinds of abilities, and you can tend to look up to him and respect him. And, and in some ways, there's a little bit that's fine. But if it replaces God, that's not good at all. But, but you understand this. You, you see an athlete, if you watch sports, he makes a great play. Says, wow, that was something. And you sort of respect that person for that. Or I like baseball, and this is more of a, a team thing. But last Friday night, something happened that had happened for 100 years. And the Toronto Blue Jays were playing uh, the Boston Red Sox, and they beat them 28 to 5. Now, if you know anything about baseball, 28 is a lot of runs in one game. That's a lot, a lot of runs. In fact, the 25 runs they had in the first five innings was the most they've had in any game since 1922, 100 years ago. So I said, I'm, you know, I like baseball. I was impressed. I was in awe. That's pretty good. And our own culture, I remember back in the 90s, and I believe the best basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, incredible athlete. Incredible basketball player. Man, that guy could shoot, he could jump, he could play, and the heart and energy that he had. What are you thinking, many people around the world, Princess Diana? 
You know, she died in that sad accident way back in the 90s. But, you know, they look up to people. That's just the way it is in our world. That's the way it is in our culture. And these kind of people are famous, you know, and they make it in the covers of magazines and the Internet. We understand this here. But we're not talking here about, about fearing man. We're talking about fearing God, and God is supreme, and he's most important. So, therefore, one of the most important things we can do then is to fear God. And so, as Christians, we are supposed to fear God, if you heard some of those verses there, we are commanded to fear God. We should go to Romans 1, verses we've looked at before. The, the question is, why should we fear God? Why should we fear God? I'm going to give you a few reasons. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. Romans 1, 18 to 23, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, having been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, their foolish hearts was darkened. And professing to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. You see in even verse 22, it talks about people who think they're smart, they're fools, if they are ones who reject God, which is basically what we saw in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 here. But what does this say? It tells us a few things. First of all, God is the creator. He made us. He made you and me. And for that reason alone, because he's our creator, we should fear him. That, that reason alone. Let me read that. He is powerful. He had the power to make you and create you. And you, you, are, you are an amazing creation. I mean, you, you are the most amazing creation of anything he, God created in the whole universe understand that. You know, Psalm 139 says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, I'm, I don't know much about physiology or anatomy. I read a few things. But boy, it, we are amazing beings. All the different things that our cells and body do, whether it's our eyes or our heart or whatever. In fact, the heart. heart's about the size of your fist. It's about a half pound or so. The work that a heart does in 12 hours, 12 hours is equivalent to lifting 65 tons off the ground a half inch. That's a lot of work. That's 12 hours. If you've been living for 20, 30, 40, 60, 78, whatever years, that's a lot of work your heart's done and just keep pounding and pounding. You know, if your heart stops, you're not going to live it. And God did that. I mean, it's the most amazing and efficient pump that we've ever seen, this little heart that pumps blood around your body that you have to have your heart. So God made everything. By his power, there are our stars held up in the skies by his power. We have this sun about 93 million, million miles away. That's, that's uh, uh, you know, lights up the earth, this sun. And it heats up the earth. We need both light and heat, right, to live. And it's got to be that distance. I know a lot of people think about climate change, what's going on here. God knows what's going on, okay? He could change his climate by moving the sun one million miles further or closer, and then we'd have climate change, and then we would probably die, even one million miles. 
God is precise. And I, I, could, I could go on for really an hour and just read the precision of God's creation. There's books out there that talk about all that God has done. It is phenomenal. We are amazing as his creation. This world is an amazing creation. That's what Romans 1 is saying. People look at the world, and can't you see that what's going on in the world? You know, I'm out there last night doing a little yard work, and, 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 the, and the clouds were there, and it wasn't raining, but it was thundering, you know, and lightning in the distance, and it's just wonderful. Man, just hear that booming voice, not of God per se, but you know what I'm saying. It's just, God is, is just an awesome God. It's by his power that our cells are held together. You know, each one of your little cells, and I, I don't I, didn't, I could have found out how many we got, whether it's, I can't remember, a trillion or a billion, but we got a lot of cells. Each little cell is held together by God. It says that in Colossians 1. He holds all things together, verse 16 and 17 there, Colossians 1. He holds everything together. And, and scientists for years, I remember back in, in the 60s and the 70s, I was, you know, in high school, and there's protons and there's neuton, neutrons and electrons. But since that time with, you know, their, what are their machines they have, the particles of the subatomic particles, it is incredible. And God holds it all together. And then God holds all your cells together, and your whole body is held together. And there are so many amazing, miraculous little machines. Your body really is a machine. It's a physiological and anatomical machine. And it's just, just, it's just getting some, something. Of course, the whole universe then is held together. It says that God has a divine nature there, Romans 1, which means he's vastly different than man, infinitely greater than man. That he has a divine nature means he has all these godly attributes. For example, he's, he's kind. He gives us all we need. I mean, if you just think for a minute about how God has met your needs this past week, that's his kindness. And we ought to think about that. He's kind. He's wise. I mean, God knows what he's doing with your life. He says, man plans his way, the Lord directs his steps. So God's been directing your steps this past week. He knows what he's doing. He's wise. He gives you a brain you're the smartest being in the world, right? Got a brain. Well, some people aren't so smart because they sin against God, but that's another story. We've mentioned it before. You got a brain. The brain's amazing. So you can live and do the things that God wants you to do. He's patient, right? He's been very patient with each one of you this past week and really for your entire life. The fact that he has a divine nature means he's holy, he's perfect, he's sinless. We understand these things, and so we see, hey, we should fear him for these reasons. Turn to Psalm 33, verses 4 to 8. It refers to these things, or same concept. Psalm 33, 4 to 8. The word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. I love that. The word of God, the work of God, two important things. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps and storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And so the whole world, every person is to fear God. And as I said before, I'll say it again, the reason we have problems People aren't fearing God in general, okay? That's, that's so important to understand. So to truly fear God, then, you must know God's attributes. And we just talked about a few things here, his divine nature. But there's one more that I want to mention. I just really want to read some verses about this. And, and this, this attribute is the fact that God is omniscient. 
He knows everything. Here's just a few verses. Genesis 16, 13. God sees me. Psalm 139. For there is not a word on my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it altogether. He knows all the words you say. He knows them before they swore you say them. Verse, uh, Proverbs 15, 3. The eye of the Lord, eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He sees it all. Things you hear about, what's going on in the world, other people, he knows it all. Oh, everything. Second Corinthians five ten. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and the and, and that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that which he has done, whether it be good or bad. And even thinking about that, that should cause people to fear God. Well, he not only sees me, wow, he's going to judge me. Continue on. Verse Proverbs five twenty one. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. Jeremiah 16, mine eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from my eyes. Psalm 11, verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, behold his eyelids try the children of men. Luke 8, 17, nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest. See, there anything hid that shall not be uh, made known. Bill Gothard had this article. He, this is his definition. One definition. It's not bad here. Good. Continual awareness that I am in the presence of a holy, just, and almighty God, that every thought, word, and action, and deed is open before him and is being judged by him. Whew. That's... You, you all understand this. I mean, you all know the this, this story you're growing up, and if your parents couldn't see what you were doing or wouldn't find out what you were doing. You felt a little more free to do what you wanted to do, right? We all understand that. You've probably all done that before. That's just the way it is. People aren't seeing. Hey, nobody sees me. They forget or don't realize. Ignore the fact that God knows everything. Parents might know a little bit, see a few things. God knows every single thing that's going on. So this is important. And so... Knowing who God is and knowing what God is like, understanding his character and his attributes, then is that which leads to fearing God. You don't see that. Let's turn to Luke 4, 5, example here, story. You know the story, but we'll read it to help illustrate some of these points here. Luke chapter 5, verses 4 to 11, the story of Peter and some of the other disciples. Luke chapter 5, verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the outer boat for them to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, Do not fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So that's the story. We understand from this story that Peter is one who feared the Lord Jesus had Peter let down his nets for fish. 
He'd been going all night, had caught nothing, and so there he is, and hey, what does Jesus know about fishing? I'm a fisherman. <laughs> and, and, and he let down the nets and got this great quantity of fish, him and his partners. But what, what did Peter learn about Jesus? A few things. First, that Jesus was powerful. Man, this guy, all this fish. It had to have been the, probably the greatest catch of fish that they'd ever had in their life, you know. I mean, this phenomenal fishing. Wow, this is a great catch here. So first of all, that, that, that Jesus was powerful. Secondly, that he was kind and gracious. And they got all these fish because that's how they lived. That's how they made their money. That was, that was income to them. Next, he saw that Jesus was holy. Because what does he say? Hey, I'm a, I'm a sinful man. He saw that Jesus was, was holy, that he was a sinner. And, and he realized, what, what did Peter say? He called him Lord. He called him Lord. And so here's Peter. He's amazed. He's in awe. He bowed down. It says he, he bows down to Jesus, falls down at Jesus' feet, and he calls him Lord. So Peter is fearing the Lord. And yes, there's some of this, quote, fear, you know, I'm afraid of him. But more so, this awe, this respect, this reverence that Peter had for God, for Jesus, because he knew that he was God. And I believe this is the point, I believe, that when he got saved and when he started following Jesus, as it says right there. And you have other stories. I mean, you, you go to the Bible, I give you stories about Moses and Gideon and Isaiah and Paul, a lot of other stories, and may not use the phrase, they feared the Lord there, but it's obvious they did. I mean, Moses, the burning bush. Boy, that, that's, that struck him. That affected his heart. And from then on, we knew he started following the Lord. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of our relationship with him, and really then the basis for our entire lives as Christians. We talk about salvation happening when we're born again. We say, and it's true, we need to repent of our sins. We need to believe in Jesus Christ and what he did and the cross to pay for our sins and, and, and to grant us salvation. But fearing the Lord is part of that process. And fearing the Lord then is necessary for salvation. And what I'm saying is, is a person can't get saved if he doesn't fear God. There's not some fear of God that's in his heart and life, and that which is really produced by the Lord himself. A person can't be saved and know God and have this relationship with him if he doesn't fear God, if a person doesn't see that Jesus is God, if he doesn't see that Jesus is holy, if he doesn't see that Jesus must punish sin, and that he too then must be punished because he is a sinner. That just it can't, it can't happen. happen. But the person who's saved also sees that Jesus is merciful and forgiving. It's not just fearing God because he's holy, which is part of it, an important part of it, a necessary part of it, but also he fears God because he sees that God wants to forgive him. Isaiah 6, which I'll just allude to. The story there in Isaiah 6 is it starts off and in, in, in the Lord's on his throne, and there's Isaiah, and he sees the Lord in his throne, and that, that famous phrase, verse, holy, holy, holy. He sees the Lord. He's fearing God at that time. And we go on to read in that chapter there about how he sees that he's a sinner, and then that God, the tongues come, you know, and he's a forgiven man. Then after that, then he's commissioned by the Lord, and, and, and Isaiah says, send me. Here I am, send me. So that's the same kind of story we, we see there. Turn to Proverbs chapter 9. In verse 10, 
Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Wisdom, knowledge, some ways used interchangeably there. But the, this, this tells us that, that, that the, the person then, uh, fearing God then, is a key to being saved. And knowing the Lord, knowing the Holy One, because it's, 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 it's by the Holy One that we're made holy, and therefore then we can have this relationship with him. It's all, it's all connected. Proverbs 1, 7, go back there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. A person who doesn't fear God is a fool. We don't usually call people fools. The sad thing is there's a lot of fools out there in the world. You see them every day of the week probably, whether you realize it or not. You hear somebody on TV or some other person saying this or that. Not following the Lord. They're sinning. Saying things that are wrong. They're not fearing God. They're not fearing God. person who doesn't fear God is a fool. He is an outright fool. He doesn't revere God. He doesn't bow down to God. He doesn't love God. He does not want God in his life. That's what's going on. Psalm 14, 1 to 3. Again, there's so many verses. It's just such a fundamental, foundational truth for our lives. Psalm 14, 1 to 3. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There's no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. Talking about the world as a whole. All men left to himself, they don't fear God. I mean, you think about the time of, of, of Noah. Whole world, except this Noah and his family, the eight total there. We're not fearing God. We're fools. We're sinning and sinning, sinning greatly against God. So the fool says in his heart that there is no God, at least not the God of the Bible, that he does not respect the one true God. He's not fearing the one true God. He is not doing that. Therefore, he's corrupt. He does what is wrong. He does what is wrong. He's, he's one then who is, is, is sinning and sinning against the ways of God and thinking that, hey, I can do whatever I want to do, but people like that are terribly wrong. So please get this in your mind and heart. The reason we have problems in the world today, the world around us, our cities, leaders, rulers, they're not fearing God. That's it. It's real simple. And therefore they sin. And that's what Proverbs Psalm 14 said. You know, if a person doesn't fear God, they're going to sin. They're not going to do good. They're corrupt. That, that's it. Why, is, why, people say, why is, are things happening? People aren't fearing God. That's all. That's, it's so simple. People get so, oh, what's going on in the world? They're not fearing God. And they get their answers and their solutions and things. But Romans 3, back there again, which, is, which takes off is really um, it's from Psalm 14, but I want to read this here. Because Paul is trying to outline in Romans 1 through the first half of chapter 3 the problem of man. And he's, he says that it's sin. But then he talks here about this fearing God. It says in verse 9, What then, are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks 
for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and mercy, mercy, misery are in their past, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's real clear. That's what's going on. That's what's happening in our world around us. Turn to Psalm 36. Going back and forth here. Psalm 36. I want to read the whole psalm. Transgression speaks to the heart ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He plans wickedness upon his bed. He sets himself on a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. That's the sinner, the ungodly person. Every sinner in the world, every unsaved person, is like this to different degrees. He doesn't fear God. But then we shift. The last part of this uh, passage, this psalm, is about the Christian, the believer. Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink the fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, in your light we see light. O continue your loving kindness to those who know you, your, upright, your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come upon me, and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the doers of iniquity have fallen. They have been thrust down and cannot rise. This first part of the psalm was all about the sinner. He does not fear God at all. Therefore, he sins. He's evil. He's wicked in his thoughts, his words, and actions. That's what's going on. The second part is about the believer. He fears God. He's been saved by God. And he's righteous. He's humble. And he's satisfied by the life and the love of the Lord. Really, it's a great psalm to see what God is doing and as Christians, we must see that fearing God is necessary for our salvation, but then it's also the basis for our continued relationship with God and our continued growth in him. So as much as we stress here the problem with sinners, they're not fearing God. The problem with believers, if they're struggling and not doing good and maybe doing things they ought not to do, is they're not fearing God either. Okay? We understand that. That's, that's what it is. So fearing God is, is foundational for the entirety of our lives as Christians. Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The Christian is to work out his salvation with fear and trembling. It means to work with God, to have that respect and awe of God into continuing to grow and to live his life for the Lord. And the fear of God then is, again, the basis for this spiritual growth, this continued relationship with him and the success and the prosperity spiritually so that God wants to give him. Psalm 33, 18 says, The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. God looks to those who fear him, to those who revere him and respect him, who are in awe of him. He looks at those people. Those people are humble. God doesn't look to the ones who don't fear him. Isaiah 66 says, says that, that God looks to that person who is humble and contrite of spirit and trembles at his word. And see, you see the correlation there. A person who's fearing God then will have respect for this word, will tremble at his word, say, this is what God is telling me. I better listen up here. 
That's what God wants for us as Christians. Psalm, or Hebrews 12, turn to Hebrews 12. Twenty-eight and twenty-nine, very sobering verses. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. That's how we Christians are to live our lives with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Sobering. This tells us what our attitude towards God should be. We should see that God is one who is holy. God is one who is just. God is one who sees what we're doing, all the things that we're doing. God is the one who judges sinners. That's, that's the truth. And the person who's saved fears God, not just because he knows that God is holy, and not just because he knows that God judges, should have judged sin, but that God didn't judge his sin because of his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. So you need to see this, the two components, really essential, two of the most essential bottom-line components there are to fearing God, knowing that God is holy and hates sin and judges sin. And even as Christians, well, I'll talk about this another month or two in terms of the area of rewards, is that a lot of Christians get a lot of rewards. Some Christians won't get as much. Because God judges their sinners. We just read that in 2 Corinthians 5. There's this judgment seat for the believers as well. Very important subject. But the point here I'm trying to say is that, that, that the person who's saved does fear God. And knows that God is holy. And knows that God has forgiven him of his sins. And therefore then he is thankful. He is rejoicing before the Lord because of his forgiveness. The true, solid, growing Christian has a right and correct view of God. He sees in one hand that God is holy and just, but he also, on the other hand, sees that God is merciful and kind and patient. And therefore, he fears God. Therefore, he fears God. And this is really, I really believe, one of the most important keys for your life as a Christian. If you just remember one thing, one thing today. The more you see that God is holy... And the more you see that God has forgiven you and loves you and is kind to you, the more you'll grow as a Christian, the more that you'll be what God wants you to be, the more that you will be one who is, is faithful to him and loving him and obeying him. That's what's going to happen. Acts chapter, well, let's turn to Deuteronomy first. Deuteronomy chapter 10. If you think about this, You think about the Israelites in the Old Testament. God worked with them for time of Abraham, around 2000. You can go up to the time of Jesus, those first you know, 30 years. He was working all those about 2,000 years exclusively with the Jews and others too, but he was focused. So here's the question. What do you think that God was trying to instill in the hearts and lives of these Israelites? What was it? What was it? What did he want them to do? To fear God. And I could give you a lot more stories to explain that, but that's what was going on. That's the big picture. He wanted them to fear God, to see that he was holy, and to then hate their sin and to love him and to see his mercy. Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? It's a big picture. What does God want? To fear 
the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today for your good. What's the first thing? Fearing the Lord. Foundational. And all these others are really foundational too, but it starts with fearing the Lord. Go to chapter 13, verse 4. You shall follow, 13.4, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. How do you follow God? You fear him. Number one again. You shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. So we see, again, this foundational nature of fearing God, whether it's for the unsaved or whether it's for the lost, it's what God wants. One more here on this point, and we'll wrap up here. Acts chapter 5. You guys know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I'm not going to read it here. It's in Acts chapter 5, and they, you know, I believe were believers, but they were sinning, okay? And some might think, well, it wasn't that big of a sin. They're just, you know, sort of withholding some information. They didn't really completely honest before the Lord. Well, God found them out. Of course, God knew what was going on. Acts chapter 5, verse 11. Well, I'll start with 10. The husband dies on the spot. God took him out. Then the wife. Verse 10, immediately, she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Why? Because they were sinning. The church was just beginning and God wanted a holy church. And what's verse 11 say? Great fear, great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. And, and, and a little fear, yeah, I'm afraid, but that fear, that respect, that awe of God himself being one who's holy and righteous but also merciful, great fear. And God wants that here too. God wants that. And oftentimes he does things, whether it's in our lives personally or collectively, so that we fear him. Acts chapter 9, 31. One of those big picture verses. 931. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It encouraged and continued to increase. The word comfort is also translated, maybe better translated by encouraged. They were going on in the fear of the Lord and they were encouraged and they were growing. That's, that's what it tells us there. So we all need to be ones who going on in the fear of the Lord. This is what all of us, I mean, you think about your life today. What are you going to do this week? You know, we think about things we're going to do, actual, physical, I've got to do this and this and this. Think this way. I'm going to fear the Lord this week. Or you say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm such a pitiful Christian at times, I can't do it. Well, you pray, that Psalm 86 verse, verse 11. Unite my heart to fear the Lord, or it says in Psalm 34, come you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You pray it at least. This should be, I think, top of your mind. What are you doing this week? 24th and 5th, the end of this last week of July, 2022. What are you doing? I'm going to fear the Lord. That's what I'm going to do. And go back, get, grab the sheet back there, get, look at these verses. Ask, say, God, teach me what it means to fear you, because that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. We need then to have this high 
and holy view of God, we need to see him for who he really is. And so part of it, and I want to just go back to this, we say, God, teach me the fear of the Lord. It's partly, as I said before, it's partly, it's primarily then, foundationally, seeing God for who he is. He's holy. He knows me inside out. He will judge me. Not that we lose our salvation, but he's also merciful. And, and, and to, to not fear God to just to sin is to trample on the mercy of God. We ought not to do that. We ought not to do that. And so, from all these verses, we can see that fearing God is essential for our lives as Christians. It's foundational for our salvation. It's foundational for our lives today, tomorrow, our spiritual growth. It's foundational. And so pray this for yourself. Pray this for our church. Pray this for your family. And pray this for our country. It's good to pray for our country because right now, as I have looked at things, the last 200 years of our, plus years of our existence, we're, we're really in a low state at this country. Man, we're, we're, we're sinning as much as any time I've, and I've read history. I don't know it perfectly, of course, but I, I mean, they're not doing good. Pray for this country. Pray for our leaders, it says in First Timothy 2, to fear God because they're not. It's causing problems. But, God's sovereign. He knows what he's doing. Well, next week, I'm going to talk more about this, fearing God and more about how it relates to our lives as Christians because it is so important. We need to understand it and see how it applies to our lives. I'll conclude with just one verse. 1 Peter 2.17, Love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and honor the king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time you've given us here together. We bless you for... Again, teaching us these truths about who you are and how we are to fear you. And in many ways, I feel very inadequate teaching on this. I just ask you, God, to help each one of us, myself and all of us here and everybody listening on, Lord, to, to, to fear you more. Unite my heart to, to fear the Lord. Unite my heart, Lord. Do that. We, we pray this today. I'm not talking about waiting until Monday or Tuesday. Lord, today. I just pray, Lord, that this truth, this, this principle, this command would be something that we would see the importance of. And again, by your grace, by your spirit, by your word, by the example of others around us, might we just fear you more. And God, we know then that you'll bless and that you will be then glorified. As we see and saw in Psalm 11, the, the connection between fearing you and praising you. One who fears you is one who's going to praise you. And that's, of course, our ultimate purpose in life is to glorify you, to honor you, to love you. Lead us, Lord, individually. Lead us in our families, Lord. We pray for our entire church. Help us, Lord. Thank you for Bethel. Pray for them. Raphael, their leaders, just lead them in the way you want them to go. And, Lord, all the churches, we know, Lord, that subjects like this aren't being taught as much as they really need to be. A lot of churches, and I was reading even this morning, yesterday, about just the, the, the apostasy of our churches, and, and it's the pastors who are so much falling down, teaching this, emphasizing grace, which is important, but not emphasizing the holiness of God, and that we need to fear you and love you. So thank you again for this church here. Thank you for the churches all over this country and this world, and, and pray, too, for the leaders. We're instructed to pray for those who are in authority over us, that, God, that you would work through them. And I would say, God, you humble them if they're not fearing you so that the whole country can wake up because we, this, this country is going downhill. But we thank you, God, that you're sovereign. We trust you. 
Sometimes it's hard, but we do trust you. Just give us peace. Help us then to see most importantly what we're to do is not to know what's going on in the world, but rather we're to, we're to keep our hands to the plow. We're to do the work you've given us to do. Whereas Nehemiah said, stay on the wall. Stay on the wall. Each one of us here as believers, you've given us gifts and abilities and you give us opportunities and you've given us open doors and I pray we take advantage of, of, of those things, Father. And so help us. And we also pray for protection. We know, Lord, that our lives are under attack. Each of us here this week, this past week, to some degree, have been attacked, spiritually speaking. Sometimes we don't know it. Sometimes we do. Lord, protect us by your word, by your grace, by our fellowship, by the angels. Protect us. Help us lead us again. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. We just bless you now for this time, the rest of this time together. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Announcements. Um, Bible study this week. We continue to go through the Gospel of John. It's a great time working our way through the Gospel, starting John chapter 13. Uh, then uh, Prophecy Bible study will be the week from this Wednesday. And again, it's so relevant. We talked, we spent a fair amount of time there talking about what's going on in the world and how that relates to prophecy. Then the week from Friday will be our, our men's meeting. And of course, we have our little box there at the back that we give uh, through that way, or you can give online as well. Thank you. Excuse me, I invite you to stand for our uh, last two songs. Um, first one is a great reminder of one of the aspects of Jesus Christ. He is our Redeemer. He has bought us back, bought us out of our sins, and um, raised us up to one day, uh, as the last verse says, one day stand in glory and see his face and serve him forever as our king.
I shall see his face, and there I'll serve my King forever in that holy song taken from the book of Colossians and um, recognize that it is Christ who is our life. He is the whole reason for our living and as Steve has said, to serve him in fear. If you're raised with Christ, seek the things that are above.